Welcome back after a brief hiatus to Stock Talk, where one of Canada's top investing YouTubers, Daniel Pronk, and me, Jake Ruth, talk about stocks, markets. We are huge nerds operating stockunlock.com, where we have thousands of global users that use our software. Daniel, I think we were going to kick it off with something pretty fun. We have a really exciting announcement today. We have officially partnered with the NASDAQ, which is a co-marketing data partnership. I think you have some uh, materials to share. Sure do. Let me share my screen. All right. Yeah, we're also go. in New York. We absolutely met a handful of Stock and Lock subscribers there in Times Square, which was really enchanting. It was a great experience. Yeah, so this is the Stock Unlock team. We have some Stock Unlock subscribers and some family and friends come out. And we got Stock Unlock on the NASDAQ board in Times Square. It was a great time. And uh, we were in the NASDAQ office as well. Jake and I got to go up on like the NASDAQ podium. We watched an IPO of the morning. And we had everyone go up to the podium as well. It was pretty cool. We also went on the Trade Talk show. That is a super bad quality image, apparently, so I apologize about that. Actually, my computer just froze, which is great. <clears throat> so, sorry about that. But yeah, Jake and I were also... I'm sorry, man, that just, like, totally stopped working. Oh, no. <laughs> well, this is what we get for yeah. live, right? But, yeah, we <laughs> want to thank everyone for playing a part in Stockholm success. We still feel like we were in the early innings of this baseball game and just wanted to kick this off with a great start. If you are a Stock and Lock subscriber, NASDAQ stock ticker quotes for both uh, during and after market hours are coming from NASDAQ, which is great. And we are firing on all cylinders with them for some growth initiatives on some co-marketing campaigns, which is really exciting. It's a big uh, slap of approval by a very big brand that we have a lot of respect for. So shout out to the NASDAQ for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was fun. We were on the Trade Talk show. Yeah. Great times. Anyway, so it is earnings week, Daniel. I know that you've been taking a really deep look at Google earnings. I know a lot of people coming to this show would love to hear us talking about stocks. So let us know what you want to hear about today in the comments. And if you are listening on Spotify, come hang out with us live sometime on YouTube. Any earnings catching your attention this week? I know a couple stocks you own reported. Obviously, a lot of big tech earnings came out. What's catching your eye? Yeah, so I already talked about Google and um, what was the other one? Microsoft and Visa over on my channel. But since that video, Meta and Amazon have reported their earnings. So it might be worth talking about those. I mean, Amazon, I think, literally just reported about 15 minutes ago. I noticed right away that they might not be the cloud leader anymore, even though that's kind of like hard to quantify. But just based on revenue, Microsoft's intelligent cloud I could bring it up here. I believe it was around $24 billion. I think Amazon came in at about like 23 and change. So that is really interesting to hear shake out. I know Amazon Web Services was on top for a while. Yeah, I think I think Microsoft took over. I think they're now the largest. Yep, actually, the revenue in Intelligent Cloud was $24.3 billion and increased 19%. I'm assuming that's a year over year. And yeah, AWS, I think was at around 20. Yeah, a AWS segment sales increased 12% year over year to 23.1 billion. We could also throw Google in the mix. Uh, Google Cloud clipped in at 8.4 billion. So almost a third of 
of Microsoft as the leader. That is up from 6.8 billion. So if you look at the percentages, it might look a little bit better, but I do think overall total numbers here are what's most important. Yeah. Yeah, Microsoft's cloud is dominating. They are, they're the clear outlier now. They're the largest and they were growing. Well, Google, sorry, Google grew by 22%, but they're on a smaller base, a significantly smaller base. So Microsoft continuing to grow at nearly 20% year over year at that large of a scale is like actually pretty mind blowing. And it's, it's just incredible. Like honestly, Microsoft had a great report. I listened to both the Google and Microsoft earnings calls and definitely left the Microsoft earnings call feeling a little bit more kind of like pumped up about the stock. Maybe that's a little bit more about the charisma of a uh, Satya Nadella, but they seem to be dealing with a large portion I might misquote this, but I believe it was around 60% of Fortune 500 companies. I noticed that Google on their call said that we had like 60% of the like largest companies in the world. So I'm not sure if they were trying to like massage the numbers there or what the importance of that is, but the numbers don't lie. Microsoft really started off being a hardware like operating system company just on the computer scale. And what they really talked about on their call was Copilots. Typically, Copilot, or at least how I've heard of it being an engineer, is called GitHub Copilot. But the term Copilot is actually starting to be extended to a lot of different industries here. So they're talking about Copilots for security, analyst Copilots for sales, really everything. And it had me start thinking about the term operating system and what Microsoft is trying to do here. They really are positioning themselves as a B2B giant. Like if you are a huge business, if you need security, if you need on-prem software, if you need teams for chat, uh, if you want to do recruiting through LinkedIn, if you need to host your software, if you need co-pilots for your workers to work better, I know that there is overlap across big tech, but it is like pretty incredible how, how big of highways these tech companies are starting to become. And it is hilarious to me how they're all really encroaching on each other's businesses. They all kind of own some social platforms, YouTube for Google, Twitch for Amazon, even though it's not as big, LinkedIn for Microsoft. They all have their cloud businesses, which are huge. They're all getting into AI. They're all using each other's models. So almost all the cloud companies I just brought up are using Meta's Llama model, as well as models from Hugging Face, which are open source models. And it's just really interesting seeing this shake up. It just seems that the biggest players, because of their market power pricing and the fact that I think Google has over like $100 billion in cash right now or something like that. It, it, yep. It's absolutely ridiculous. So uh, Daniel, I'm curious to hear how you think this might play out or if you're tracking any of those because I do think that you own shares in Google. That's correct. Yeah, I do in Google and Amazon. Um, yeah, I really, I don't know how this is going to look long-term. Their cloud is just like crazy big and growing really fast. Um, what I am interested to see is if long-term, once the land grab is kind of over, if companies are going to be going and competing with each other on price. Like if Microsoft, Google, and Amazon are all just going to be going to their customers and being like, hey, we'll undercut Microsoft by 15% if you switch over. And then seeing if margins get cut that way. Because right now it is kind of just like a land grab, so there's high margins. But we'll see long term. Yeah, that's a really good point. As all these big tech companies kind of come out with like similar service offerings, does it become a pricing war? I'm trying to segment in my head the individuality across these businesses. So for example, Google, I guess we can say is search. They also have like YouTube. I think that they're getting 70 billion YouTube shorts videos, uh, views, sorry, a day, which is a 
what they sell on the earnings call, which is incredible, but most of their business is still advertising. Their cloud is lagging behind Amazon and Microsoft. I guess Amazon's mostly like a marketplace, but then they're also doing advertisement sales. Uh, Google and Amazon are also both trying to get into bed with the NFL, both through YouTube TV, as well as just streaming on Twitch and through Amazon Prime Video. So that's super interesting. And then Microsoft seems to really be leading and dominating the B2B side of sales through Teams, recruiting with LinkedIn, all their uh, Azure cloud and then being the leader there. So it's, it seems like this huge like Venn diagram basically where they have like a massive overlap and it feels like that overlap is like getting bigger and bigger as time goes on. Yep. Yeah, I was also reading that Google Pixel on their phone is gaining lots of market share around the world too. Yeah, I know that we're not like huge Apple fans. I know they have a very strong brand, but yeah, their hardware sales are kicking up. Microsoft is interesting there as well too because they keep on having projected multiple percentage declines of growth in their OEM windows, like basically all those old like on-prem uh, distributions that they have, which is totally fine by them because they're pushing everything into the cloud. But I'm almost wondering in like 10 or 20 years how common it will be or almost rare it will be to actually get a physical like laptop when you go to work for a company. Because you could even imagine yourself wearing the metal glasses or just like going and logging onto like shared servers where everything is just kind of hosted in the cloud, like even your compute. So just putting on my like tinfoil futurist hat, it seems that the future might be way less physical hardware out of the humans having, you know, like their own phones or like headsets. And when you go to work, you'll actually have a like virtual hardware, basically, which is, again, going to be hosted by Microsoft, Google and Amazon, it seems like. Yeah, I remember watching one of Meta's ads for the metaverse. And basically when they put on their headset, Mark Zuckerberg was like, you start to realize that not much of the world actually needs to be physical. Like, for example, he was like, you don't really even need a keyboard or a screen or a mouse even. Like once you have that headset and you can work in the metaverse, he was like, all you need is the headset. And then everything else is just in the cloud. So that, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens long term. Let's talk about that a bit, the headset, because flashback to maybe like six months ago, or dare I say 12 months ago, obviously Facebook meta stock dumped. It went all the way from 300-ish to like 90 bucks. Even myself on the show, we were like making fun of the metaverse. Mark put out that photo of like him taking a selfie and it looked like Nintendo 64 with like some weird Eiffel Tower in the back. And like flash forward to today, he just did an interview with Lex Friedman. Uh, if you don't listen to the Lex Friedman podcast, highly recommend. It's a great one. And they did the interview in the metaverse. And to say I was impressed by what I saw on the technology made, they made and the realism of where they've gone with their headset goggles, I, I was like pretty blown away by what they've built. I'm not even talking about investment thoughts here of like if I would or were not by the stock. But, you know, there's very few founders that only come... Uh, you know, a few a century that are really huge innovators and just change the way the world sees things. And I'm kind of more neutral now on the headset reality and augmented reality, especially with their partnership with Ray-Bans coming on, actually becoming more mainstream as time goes on. Even going towards what we were just talking about, Daniel, the virtual hardware, uh, which I think is going to be really bad for companies that sell monitors, mice, things like that. I, I really have trouble seeing those physical components where it takes like a lot of hardware, digging things out of the ground, uh, shipping that, constructing it all together, 
getting it to the end user and then you need to upgrade it every few years. Like it seems very natural that that is actually all going to go digital. And it, I do think that the glasses could have like a huge play in that because you could just get whatever screen you want. It's all, you know, just driven in the cloud. It's all bits kind of running around. I, I can kind of see it. I, I don't know how I feel about the stock, honestly, but my mind has been changed after seeing the latest version of that software. What they're building over there is pretty incredible, in my opinion. I'm not sure if you've got a chance to look at any of that. Uh, not deeply, no. I saw the Lex Friedman podcast. That was pretty intense. Very impressive. That's definitely the way to do podcasting and like meetings and whatnot. If like, imagine if we could basically be sitting face to face right now in some virtual area, but we look the exact same like that. That would be awesome. Much better than looking at a little screen of you right now. Yeah, the, the future is crazy. <laughs> also, I see yeah. some friends in the chat. Uh, SM Finance, great to see you. Hello, PG. Uh, I see your question. Great to see you, Sophie. Great to see you, Tiago. What is up? you're watching us come say hello in the chat let us know where you're streaming from again it has been over a month since we've done this so it's very good to be you want to take this question daniel i think that this is a good one uh so okay paulo asks do you guys know why financials are doing so well today even when the market is down i don't know why the financials are doing so well today i have no idea i know that they have not been doing well recently basically all of my bank stocks are down over like the past month so i don't know it could just be like a one-day bump maybe things are calming down a bit in financials but the day-to-day -day price action i i really don't follow so i don't know if there was something going on today or not well i'm glad i sent that question over to you because i totally misinterpreted what that meant i thought they were asking like why was financial performance of companies doing so well even though the market's been going down but i guess this is the finance sector yeah I mean, if we're going to include banks in that, is that true? I've heard a lot of murmuring in our Discord, even though I don't follow it too closely, that Canadian banks are getting slammed. Is that rumor, fake news? No, that's true. Yeah, they're all they're all hitting, uh, I believe, one-year lows. Royal Bank, for example, Canada's largest bank, um, arguably one of the best banks in the entire world. It hit a new 52-week low. Its dividend yield got up to 5%. And historically, when the dividend yield on that stock is 5%, it has been... A good time to buy it i'm not saying it's a good time to buy it right now but historically when that dividend gets up there um it usually doesn't last long and it doesn't usually offer that high of a yield so it's rare that's what's happening right now in the banking sector things are selling off pretty hard i mean are you buying more eqb on this dip are your feelings about that stock still the same i know that you've been pretty public on your channel about being a huge uh, eqb bull do you think this yep. is just some short-term nonsense what, what moves are you making uh, yeah, so far I would say, I mean, bank earnings have not been updated. They kind of, the Canadian banks, at least they usually report in December. So I don't really have an update there relative to my previous thoughts on the banking sector, but yeah, equitable bank still think it's a great company. I think it's trading for a price to earnings ratio in the sixes now. I mean, they're still projecting 18% earnings growth this year. Um, everything under the hood looks completely fine. So I don't see any reason to worry about it personally. I was actually looking in my portfolio for things to add. I did not really add anything, but, uh, EQB is getting back into the buy zone for me personally, not financial advice. So we'll see if I pick some up. I have not, I have not picked any up, but we'll see if I do in the near term. I definitely could see myself buying some more. 
dude, you know what I'm going to say? And it's been so long, it's going to feel so good to say. We are not financial experts. This is all entertainment. Do not follow our trades. Please do your own research. If you buy a stock just because we talked about it, that's a really dumb idea. You shouldn't do that. Please consult a financial professional before making any moves in the market. And yes, we, if we are playing stock and lock bingo, you could put a, <laughs> a few cards down for that one. Uh, so there's a couple of questions in the chat. We can really go anywhere with this stream. I mean, I feel almost scatterbrained because of how long it's been and so much, there's so much we could talk about. I've looked at Shake Shack. Uh, Chewy has fallen, has gotten cut in half since I talked about it on this channel six months ago when I said I like the stock, but it was expensive. And then, of course, we get to get deeper dive in on any of these uh, technical earnings. Uh, Airbnb has also been bobbing to and fro, uh, but I, I know I need to bite my tongue on just ranting about Airbnb. I'm obviously very bold. <laughs> Where do you want to bring us, Daniel? Guide the ship. Um, I'll answer some questions here. We have one from SM Finance. Says Daniel would love your thoughts on TNT, unless you don't want to talk about that one. Yeah, this is one I don't talk about too much. I do have a very, very small position in this one. Um, it's an office real estate or REIT, real estate investment trust. It's been getting absolutely slaughtered. <laughs> it's down, um, I don't even know, man. I think it's down like 80% over the past couple of years, but the dividend yield on it now is at 19%. So, they report here soon. I'm going to be very interested in that report because based on their last report, I thought that the dividend would be fine. And I think that the dividend is still going to be covered by cash flows. So the company is basically trading like it's going to go out of business. And uh, we'll see. I mean, again, that dividend yields up 19% now. I think this could be a fun discussion between us two. I, you have 100% done a lot more research than me here. So I'm kind of coming in as a snarky, just fundamental analyzer here and also sharing the screen on our Discord. Uh, the Stock and Lock Discord's free. We encourage everyone to join and we have lots of fun discussions about stocks here. So TNT actually came up yesterday. This is when these chats are from. And the counter opinion, because, uh, you know, we're all forecasting here to what you just said, Daniel, is that. This company has a very low cash position. Uh, the revenue has not been growing, although I know that you want to really look at FFO for these stocks. And the market might be saying something. I don't think that this is a company that's selling like it's going to go out of business. But from what I can see is if interest rates keep going up and their occupancy rates drop to what they forecast, which I'm reading is about 80%, it does really seem questionable if they're going to be able to keep on covering this dividend payment. So what I think is happening with this stock is people are nervous about two things. One, are they going to have to cut the dividend? And then two, if they need to raise money, how are they going to raise that? They're probably not going to want to take out more debt. And then if they sell shares, the share price now is like a dollar or something. So they would have to like reverse split to get that back up to the point where they wouldn't get delisted as well as then re-dilute the shareholders. So that that is obviously incredibly bearish. Um, it's kind of illustrated here by what Robert is saying, that they can't really handle too much debt increase. Uh, this will add about $26 million in interest, which is you know more than seems like the cash they have or what's coming in, including what they're paying out with the dividend. So I know this is a smaller position for you and I'm not trying to bash where I haven't done enough research, but there are very varying opinions about this in the Discord, which is what I'm trying to say. And they do seem to be in a slightly precarious spot. I mean, the market is saying something, right? By selling it down to 19% dividend. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, yeah, the interest payments that they were talking about what was that? Well, you also need to think 
Yeah, there's just so much to unpack here. Oh my god. Okay, so starting, <laughs> their dividend. If you take a look at their cash flow statement, their dividend was cut halfway through the last quarter. So their dividend cash flow amount in the last quarter is not actually what the dividend is going to be going forward because it was already cut. Um, their interest payments, when I did the math, it was saying that their interest payments are probably going to increase by about $7 million over the next year based on their average interest yield right now on their debt versus what it is going to go up to probably. The company, when they cut their dividend, they increased their free cash flow by $25 million, which means that they would have about $18 million left after the increased um, interest payments to cover the dividend, essentially. Now, on top of the company paying out their dividend, they've also started buying back shares. That also tells me that they have excess cash right now because, yeah, they're, they're starting to buy back shares. Insiders bought millions of dollars worth of shares recently as well. The CEO owns 11% of the company, and he was the one buying more shares. I believe he purchased 1 million more shares on his own. So I think he probably has better visibility into the business and its financial health than anyone. And he seems to be fine continuing to buy shares. So I think they're like, don't get me wrong, man. I don't think that this is an incredible business. Like, you know, their revenue is going down. Occupancy is going down. They're in the office real estate sector, which is not a hot sector right now. But in terms of can they cover the dividend, which is my whole investment thesis on this business, I think the answer is yes until I see the next earnings report, because the last earnings report, based on everything I went through, the answer was yes, they still can cover that dividend payment um, and quite well. So I'm just going to see what happens. You know, this is literally like 0.25% of my portfolio. So even if it goes to zero, I'm completely okay with that. But uh, I don't think it's going to personally. And really, I'm looking at the next earnings to see if I want to increase that position a little bit more, because if a 20% dividend yield can can be maintained, like that is pretty damn good. So I'm just going to say that. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. It's I, ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah. So looking at the stock and lock insider tab here, I see all the transactions you're talking about from looks like his name is also Daniel, uh, Daniel Drimmer, D squared, uh, that was picking up millions of dollars of shares. That being said, if Daniel uh, Drimmer knew where the stock price was going which obviously they didn't they could have probably gotten double the amount of shares that they had waited however as you said daniel uh daniel prompt not daniel drimmer uh, this person probably knows something that we don't and i don't think anyone's arguing here it doesn't seem that this stock is going to go out of business uh, but i do agree with what you said daniel it seems like they're in a slightly tricky spot and it's going to be really interesting to see how this i would out. back up i would back up i actually don't think they're currently in a tricky spot they're ffo okay. Their FFO payout ratio based on the last quarter was 67%. So their funds from operations or the dividend um, relative to their funds from operations is currently 67%. So they still have, what would that be? Is that 33% left to still cover the dividend and interest payments? And again, I don't think the interest payments are going to increase that much over the next year. So... At the moment, I'm actually not really that concerned about the dividend or the cash flow. So we'll just see what happens. I'm really waiting for that next report to see what happens. But in the meantime, I think things look okay for them. I not I don't think things are going to get that bad. 
Thanks for clarifying there and apologies for misrepresenting your thoughts. You made it very clear how you feel. Um, I'm going to stay on the sidelines for this one, but yeah, fair enough. It's This is an interesting case. I mean, this is why we love investing, right? They put out their financials. You see what the executives of the business are doing. And then it's really up to people like us to have public discourse, uh, good debates like this, and really try to come to a rational theory as to what might happen with the stock. And one thing we can all agree on, a 19% dividend yield is like rock my socks off. Like if you, if you are right uh, in your speculation that they will maintain their current dividend, which is after the cut, wow. I do not know any bank CD or savings account that is giving you 20% right now. Yeah, we'll see. We'll definitely see. And I want to make it clear, like, I don't think this is a great business. I think that it's probably a subpar business, to be totally honest with you. But it's just at a price where I think it's just so silly that I did take a position. And it's a very small position. But the reason I have it is because the price, I think, is just so dang silly that I'm happy with it. So that's like the whole thesis. It's selling for a third of book value. So a third of net asset value. It's got a, a, like a 26% FFO yield right now, 20% dividend yield. So I'm just like, I, I just can't, you know, I cannot ignore it. We will we will check back in on this one. Uh, everyone, uh, Daniel Pronk thinks the hat uh, TNT. Uh, the, the kids might be all right at home. I'm going to take a quick question here. So are you guys making an app eventually? So we are going to work on our mobile experience. You should 100% check us out on mobile. We understand it's slightly different to open up the web browser, but what many stock and lock subscribers do is they save the bookmark to their home screen. We are looking into making a mobile app right now. It's a balance for us of resources and more of a when we want to do that. So do not have any particular updates there, but thank you for that question. Also, thank you for being a stock and lock user and coming out right. of the streams. I'm going to take this question quick because like I said before, public discourse is great and everyone knows I'm pretty bullish on Airbnb and there's very valid thoughts from both sides of the aisle here. So I got my time on the clock, Daniel. I won't make this too long, but here's a question about Airbnb. Jake, Airbnb is dropping, and one of the Canadian provinces, BC, has placed massive restrictions on short-term rentals. Basically, almost no one can do short-term rentals. Any update thoughts on Airbnb? Before I respond, I'll actually contribute more towards your side of the story here. I live in New York City. New York City just passed some legislation. It's being contested, but they're doing very similar things. Pretty much, they are restricting short-term rentals in terms of who's allowed to do them, the laws and legalities around how you can short-term rent and without getting too much into the weeds of what that is because it'll get pretty boring the main takeaway is it's a lot harder to host your place on airbnb and yes that 100 is affecting people's ability to transact on airbnb which is completely tied to their business so now taking a step back and just giving my response to this i will quote the ceo brian chesky here of something a little bit unrelated but just to get everyone to visualize how big this business is one out of every $1,500 exchanged around the world in USD-denominated uh, calculations flows through Airbnb. Airbnb is a global business. Their free cash flow margins are 43%. And I want to equate uh, some of the news that people hear around short-term rentals to how big of an impact it has on Airbnb's business. Specifically, just talk about New York City. When I did the math from their earnings reports, I think one or two quarters ago, it was roughly around or just under 1% of their total revenues. Canada as an entire country is also less than the size of California and BC is just a fraction of that. So 
while these will have small impacts geographically on Airbnb's numbers, it has still been yet to be seen that this is going to have an impact on their top line. And it's really important to know that Airbnb is an international business. So Airbnb is actually really huge and has really great relationships with China, for example. And the one thing that I look out for and what I think a lot of people get confused with on Airbnb is buyers and sellers who are going and trying to list units and their ability to actually get people to buy them versus the actual consumer renting the property because there's a natural marketplace tension here. So you have buyers and sellers and there has been a really big mad rush of people, I think, overbuying rental properties and putting it onto Airbnb. I actually think that's a really, it's like almost too much of a good thing, right? People are still traveling. I think the travel and leisure space is set to grow massively. I know they also have some competition with booking.com, which has a larger market cap, as well as uh, Verbo, which is owned by Expedia. So this is something that I'm tracking. Obviously, if more and more cities adopt this and this becomes the norm, I think that will end up having an impact on their business. And that's something that I will take into account. However, this is happening in small pockets today and the exact opposite behavior is happening elsewhere. So people aren't actually focusing on that there's Airbnb friendly apartments and they're growing that uh, they're growing that program uh, every quarter. I don't have the numbers offhand. And there's other geographic areas who are actually doing the opposite of what New York City and other places in Canada are doing and actually promoting Airbnb more because they realize that that increases tourism and, and increases the economy in their city. So I, I understand the arguments on both sides. I know that if you own an apartment building, you might not want your neighbor renting out the Airbnb apartment, right? I, I actually do think that there should be regulation here. And to end this mini rant, I, I'm watching it, but I still have not seen it have a bad impact on the business. And I think people are overblowing the effects of that and not also looking at all the other growth drivers that are coming through to them. So We'll see. But that is uh, an update on my thoughts there. I think it's a great question. Yep, I agree. What's that? Are you hearing any background noise, by the way, Daniel? There's some construction outside my window. A little bit, but it's not bad. It's not too bad. Let me know if it gets too bad. I could start muting myself. <laughs> okay, I'm going to answer this next question because I have received this question so much over the past couple of days. Like, Wait, do you, do you like Brookfield? Do you own BN? Bro? Ha, <laughs> <laughs> ha. <laughs> do I own BN? Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> um Daniel, did you exchange any of your BN for BNRE? So BNRE is the new Brookfield subsidiary, the Brookfield Reinsurance Company or their insurance business. Basically, Brookfield put out this big letter. They sent all of their shareholders this letter saying, you can change or you can exchange one Brookfield Corporation BN share for one Brookfield insurance share. So it's a one-to-one -one transfer. Everyone is asking, what's the purpose of this? What is the reason? Did you do it? Should I do it? What's going on? I did not do it. I don't understand why they're doing this. Well, I do understand why they're doing this. Brookfield believes that their Brookfield insurance business is massively undervalued. So they're giving shareholders the opportunity to exchange one Brookfield share for one insurance share to try and capture that discount. However, those shares are also under, from my understanding, those shares are also forever linked. So basically in five years in the future, if you want to exchange one Brookfield insurance share for one Brookfield corporation share, you'll be able to do that. That basically means that their share prices should do the exact same thing over the long term. So I don't know why, or I don't know what the benefit is 
of actually exchanging the shares. Like, yes, Brookfield Insurance could be cheaper fundamentally, but if it's linked to Brookfield Corporation, then like, what is the point? So I don't, I don't understand it. And since I don't understand it, I'm not going to do anything about it. So no, I am not exchanging anything. This is something where it's actually going over my head. I don't get it. Um, I would not feel comfortable doing it. I'd rather just own BN, which is the corporation that owns. It's the parent company of everything. I feel better about it. That's the stock that Bruce Flat owns and the management owns. So I'm going to stick with what the management is doing, and I'm just going to hold on to BN. So that's my thoughts. How does this impact the share structure of both of those tickers? Like, are they, is this like dilutive or non-dilutive on either end? I have no idea. I'm unclear. I did, like, they sent, they sent like a 50 page package and I, it went straight into the recycling for me. I was like, I'm not, I am not dealing with that right now. So. I don't know if anyone just noticed what just happened. It was super spooky. Oh, maybe it was my girlfriend. The light turned off and on. I was about to attribute it to uh, the stock market gods, which meant it was a really good sign for BN. Because we were talking about it, but never mind. My girlfriend is playing with the light switches. But yeah, um, if you looked at Brookfield's Investor Day, for all of those who did, they are projecting their Brookfield insurance business. Like they are pouring so much capital into growing that business. It's basically the focus of the company right now. Um, I believe they said that they they believe that business is going to be worth sixty billion dollars by twenty thirty. So I believe the stock is trading for two billion on the market today. So yeah, you know if they meet their projections over the next what is that now eight years, seven years, then that it looks cheap as heck. But I just don't understand it. I don't understand what the what the relationship there is between BN and the insurance shares. So I'm just you know I'm fine with it. I'm fine to hold just BN. Fair enough. Do you mind if I take us down a little uh, detour here into ticker symbol S-H-A-K? Sure. All right. This is going to be a quick one, but as we like to do here, I did a little stock analysis a few weeks ago on Shake Shack. If you're not familiar with Shake Shack, they sell burgers and fries. They're all over New York City. So I thought it'd be nice to kind of start off with, like, why the hell am I looking at Shake Shack? Like, what caught my eye about it? So... The first thing that caught my eye is uh, other consumer companies were downtrending and lots of them mm -hmm. still are. Uh, Chewy is also in a super, super hardcore decline right now. So I was just kind of looking for and screening for different companies. And I live right next door to Shake Shack. It is always busy. There's always people and they're eating. I'm like, yeah, you know, like maybe there's something about this company. Uh, they have relatively fallen from peak earlier in 2023, but are obviously still incredibly off their highs. And the thing that really caught my eye is the Insight scores, it's like not that great, but their uh, operating income recently has been going up a lot. So if we like smooth this out here, uh, the cash flow from operations is going back up. They're actually on a trailing 12 months all-time high. So we really do love to see that here. Cash flow is king. And obviously when you're making cash, it means that you can use that to grow the business, pay off debts if you have them, all that kind of stuff. So I really started taking a dive into this business. Uh, here is their shareholder letter for 2023. I think what's important to understand is how they make their money. So Shake Shack operates their own stores for the most part. And they have, I think it's a couple of million costs to put into building the shop. They then have to pay 
obviously for the foods to make the burgers as well as pay the workers to work there. One thing I kind of liked about them is they're really leaning into a lot of new tech, new trends. So you can actually like buy a beer at this burger place, which is nice, even though more, it's more of a fast food vibe. Whenever you go into the places, they're relatively clean. Uh, the workers seem happy and are doing their jobs well, and everything's pretty digital. Uh, you order things on a touchpad, and I know that's not really super unique now, but you know they're definitely focusing on getting their operating costs down and things like that. So I saw like a few like bullish signals there. Another thing that was really interesting to me is they also have something that seems to operate completely like a franchise model, but they don't call the franchise where it's a very small portion of their revenue, but they kind of sell the license to use their brand name, their recipes. And for all intents and purposes, it looks like a Shake Shack, but it's actually bought by someone else. And then they have a profit sharing uh, scheme where they get some portion of the revenues, but it's a very small part of their business. Anyways, to cut a long story short here, uh, that was kind of the only good things I saw. I mean, the things that I really don't like is this business is really not that profitable. So just taking a look at the stock unlock insights, their profitability score is pretty horrendous. You know, they're not losing a ton of money, but this is a very low margin business. And that really had me thinking, you know, they are competing with Burger King, McDonald's, uh, in and out I'm not sure that's, I don't think that's a public company, but just bringing up McDonald's here to do a side-by-side -side comparison you'll really see things kind of break down uh, where, you know, McDonald's financial health actually rated by stock and lock isn't as good, but you need to understand why uh, we're giving Shake Shack a very good score for having long cash runway, but that's actually a result of them being, excuse me, unprofitable. Uh, the growth for Shake Shack is also a little bit better. You know, they're like a smaller company, but the proof is really in the pudding down here for these last two groups. And this is true if you compare it to really any other more established fast food place. They're just not that profitable. Uh, they're paying to grow. They're diluting shareholders. And the last thing I wanted to point out, Daniel, which I just thought was kind of sketchy, is they really are like promoting this like 21% operating uh, profit margin. And um, I know this is really hard to read, but it's really important to pay attention to this stuff. The company decided uh, that they are going to adjust how they report their financials. Uh, they reclassified certain marketing expenses from other ex operating expenses to G&A expenses. It, it kind of seems like a little bit of financial engineering to me. And then they also are saying that they're uh, excluding 40 uh, BIPs of benefit from the leadership retreat sponsorship credits. I won't bore you guys with actually like following through this, but I actually found this in their 10Q filing. And pretty much they're trying to claim that they had saved and got money kicked back because they like may not have went on a corporate retreat that they did previously. It, it just got a little sketchy, honestly. And I took a step back and I was like, you know what? I want to invest in great businesses. And while this business was packed over here, I think they have a lot of competitors. I think this is a low margin business. I think I really didn't like management's vibe at, at all, honestly, with how they were presenting the information to shareholders. And it got, it got a no from me. So that's our little for foray into uh, Shake Shack, ticker symbol S-H-A-K. Does that make you hungry, Daniel? You no, but I remember when I was in New York, we we passed a lot of them, and they were always full. Their numbers are going up. Uh, I don't really like swing trade, but this is a stock where if it got like super beat down because there is a recession, people are going to want to spend less. They might be getting more fast food, uh, but some people are kind of like grossed out by like a McDonald's or Burger King. But then like a Shake Shack is this weird like middle of the road one. So you know, I I don't think they're going anywhere, right? Like they're kind of treading water in terms of where their financials are and their operating cash flow is going up. So if they're able to scale and beat up their competitors here, 
it might be enticing, but it's just not a sure win for me. I like to be a lot more confident on companies having moats and things like that. And I was just not really able to identify one with Shake Shack personally. Yeah, that's fair. Very, very fair. It'll be interesting to see what happens to that one. Yeah, I I might might start a position in Chewy, Daniel. I bought one single share, as I like to do, around a couple weeks ago to see how it'd sleep. I slept pretty well, but I bought it in the wrong damn account. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I bought it in my retirement account by accident, TD, because their web interface is terrible. And I sold it. I actually think I made about 40 cents short-term profit, so I'm bringing home about a quarter. Uh, you know, I'm not going to spend it all in one place, but... Uh, yeah, they got upgraded, well, relatively upgraded from a sell to neutral by UBS today, which caused the stock to pop about 6%. But yeah, man, they've been getting absolutely hammered. I continue to hear everyone talk about how much they love Chewy. Uh, they're going to start to expand more internationally. They have more of their automated uh, facilities coming online. They sell dog food. People are going to keep on feeding their pets even in a recession. And, you know, I still want to see that stock around a 5 billion market cap. It's around 7.6, 7.7 today. I'm kind of feeling it, man. It's uh, it's got a free cash flow yield now of near five percent. I know I'm being a little greedy. Uh, I I might start dollar cost averaging because I'm going to really kick myself if it like runs back up and then I like didn't start a small position. But I, I'm thinking about it. I, I'm really thinking about it. Yeah, I know. I know the position you're in. So there's there's a stock that I think you only know about, Jake. Actually, uh, I don't think. I've ever talked about this one, but basically there was a stock in Canada. As you know, I'm Canadian, so I like to buy my Canadian stocks and it was a self or it, it is a self storage REIT, one of Canada's only ones. And same thing as you, I really liked the business. I thought that it was like almost certain to continue growing in the future. I really understand the business, I believe. Um, and it is a business that I wanted to own, but in like 2021 and 2022, it was just way too expensive. I believe it was trading for like 45 times FFO and it was just way too high. So then I waited, I, I pulled a Jake and I was very patient and it has been getting freaking slaughtered. So I, I nibbled a little bit of shares and then it went down. So I nibbled a little bit more and then it went down more and then I, I don't know why I stopped buying it, but it, it probably dropped like 15% on me. And then I was like, hmm, you know what? Maybe I'll just wait a little bit more for the next one. And then they reported their earnings today and the stock is up like 15% and I'm just sitting here like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you, t you tried to time the market. <laughs> I don't, I guess so. I guess so. Well, hey, what I, I will say, right? Sorry? What I will say is like, I bought it, it dropped like 10%. I bought some more. And then it dropped like another 10, 15%. Then for some reason, I was like, eh, I can hold off. And now it's like back up to where I, I initially bought it. So I'm just yeah. like, dang it. Uh, similar with NSA, I'm I'm down just based on the share price cost for my buys, maybe around like 15, 20% on that it is a pretty small position for me. still in my portfolio, we're talking like 2%. And I am collecting about like 40 bucks in dividends a quarter on it. You know, nothing to really right home about but kind of just sitting on my hands a bit i'm not going to re-say things i said in the past but obviously with interest rates and their debt it's a business that's like in an okay spot but definitely want to see how management behaves uh before deciding if i want to make this a larger position or not but 
would be saying the same thing as you if I waited, right? And then they pop back up. They're like, oh, gosh darn it. <laughs> I know. Why does everything have to be so clear in hindsight? Hey, that's how it works. We are getting a lot of requests here. Right? I guess just two uh, from Eric Eric and Ad, Ad Skillies. UTHR. I haven't heard about this stock yet. Should we do it? I've, I've not heard about that one either. You, you want to lead or me? Um, let me take a little look here. It's a biotech stock, apparently. Yeah. Tell us a bit about what y you all know about this stock. This is new to Daniel and I, so we'll do a rudimentary uh, fundamental analysis on it. But obviously, we will not have time to do a full deep dive on the business. We love crowdsourcing ideas from you all in the chat. So let us know what you have found about this business, things that we should look out for. And are you asking because you're thinking about buying it? Do you own it? What's going on? Okay, so it's a biotech company. Um, engages in the development and commercialization of products for patients with chronic life-threatening conditions. So... Typically, whenever I see biotech companies, I get kind of turned off because, for example, the firm Markets sells four commercial therapies in the United States that treat pulmonary arterial hypertension, Tyvaso inhalation solution, which includes Tyvaso inhalation system, Tyvaso DPI inhalation powder. I have no, no idea what you just said. Yeah, so I'll stop there, but basically I don't even know what I'm saying right now. So for me to understand this business, not being in the medical field and not knowing what any of these words here mean for like these four paragraphs, it immediately to me is probably out of my circle of competence, which means I'm not going to buy it. Um, and this is across the entire biotech industry. So I try to invest in things I know about and biotech, I believe is just something that I, I just, I'm not going to be able to understand on a good enough level to feel comfortable buying these shares. Now, with that said, the stock has run massively. It's up like a lot. Um, it was $4 in 2001. It is now $200. So it's up 5,000%. Has a very high stock unlock insight score of 4.44. Go look at the profitability section of the insight score. Okie doke. Um... Financial health is very good. Current ratio is eight. They have more cash than total liabilities, so the balance sheet is phenomenal. No risk there, really. Growth is good. 18%, everything is growing. Um, free cash flow only grew by 3%, but whatever. Everything looks to be growing pretty good. Profitability is a perfect 5.0. 90% gross margin, 32% free cash flow margin. Management seems pretty good. Low stock-based compensation, high ROIC. So yeah, I mean, the insights look ridiculous. It's the financials are are beautiful, I agree. The cash conversion really got to me there. I think it was like 77% cash conversion, uh, free cash flow margin over 30%. Yeah, revenue has grown from 50 million in 2003 to 2 billion in the trailing 12 months. Balance sheet is probably very good, as we already saw. Yep, 40% of the assets are cash. I mean, almost no liabilities on the balance sheet. I imagine cash flow is looking pretty good over the long term. Yeah, not bad. 
So yeah, there's a lot to like here in terms of its financials, but in terms of the actual business, I I don't know. I really gonna... wish that I understood this industry more because some of the financials of these companies look so good and it hints at yeah. them having a moat, right? Like their financials are positioned in a way where they have a lot of pricing power. Maybe they do. Feels like I'm grasping at air with you. Like like you're saying, Daniel, just don't, can we explain this business to a five-year-old? If Peter Lynch was in the room right now, he would be grilling us because we can't even explain what they do to ourselves. But yeah, uh, if anyone in the chat has an edge here and you know wants to share on the ch uh, with us, let us know. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, when you have a ninety percent gross margin, that's that's a symbol of a moat. So yeah. I mean, they're doing something right. So. You did not go to the insider tab. I know we always can't do it all, but Millhouse did point out, and I saw this too. There is someone that works on the general cons console there that is just milking shares on the open market, like buying so many yachts. <laughs> so I didn't see like too many people out there selling, but it's always good to look there, like insider trades as well. Sometimes I've learned, Daniel, that the insider trades and selling is actually from a pre-agreed upon executive like selling plan. Typically, executives of public companies are obviously highly scrutinized and SEC is always looking at them. You can't just kind of trade on your own. You really need to like file uh, stock-based compensation plans. That's usually like pretty regimented out. So it's not always a bad thing, uh, but generally speaking, just be aware of how the management rewards themselves. If they are like flooding shares into the open market, obviously that's going to reduce your gains over time, no matter how good the financials are. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Should we do a little bit of a business update? I mean, there's been so much going on. Oh uh, yeah, go for it. And then, yeah. and then I, I'm probably going to head off after that. One hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think that this is a good way to end them. I was looking at the time as well, so yep. we're seeing a lot of familiar faces here. First off, thank you everyone for hanging out today. I know it's been an incredibly long time since we've gone live. So, Daniel, if I see you not in approval, I figure I'll give like a little bit of a reasoning behind why that is. What our like light plans are moving forward, and just some light updates on the business. If anyone has uh, questions for us, feedback, uh, we always love constructive feedback as well to let us know how we are doing. We would love to see that. And yes, Alex Bolt, you made it before the end. Uh, you missed the actual stock talk, but you could head back for that. Uh, the recording will be on our YouTube as well as Spotify. So yeah, we have done stock talk for over one year now. We were doing it weekly. Sometimes we were doing it on weekends. We went and missed a week or two, but we were pretty good on it. And Daniel and I wear a lot of hats. We obviously run stockandlock.com. Uh, we have thousands of global customers. And uh, due to a lot of success that we had, it really put us in a really hard spot a couple months ago. Uh, not all doom and gloom, but going to be really open about what was happening. Uh, doing Stock Talk Weekly ended up being really hard for us to do. We would come into them not being 100% prepared just because we had so much stuff to do. And there was so many things across customer service, figuring out international tax filings. Uh, we had a co-founder uh, leave the company. We basically found ourselves in a spot where we were losing product velocity in the company, which is everything to us, which drives us and motivates us to keep building, hearing feedback from all of the subscribers and just really continuing to innovate, push new boundaries. You guys will probably tell Daniel and I are part of the uh, you know, infinite improvement club, always trying to learn, read books, and then put a lot of that time and effort back into Stock and Lock the Business, which is just, has been such a pleasure to continue to build and grow. So I was doing customer service all the time. I was also the only engineer. Daniel was the only person on growth. Uh, he was falling behind. 
content. Him and I were sharing customer service. It just did not feel good because we felt like hamsters running on a wheel. This also resulted in us cutting back on stock talk. So flashing forward to all the positive things that blossomed from that, we are now a team of six or seven people, depending on if you quantify partner full-time. So we have four full-time people at Stocklock. We hired a founding engineer. Uh, their name is Karan, based out of India. This guy is a total stud. Uh, he has been helping us build a lot of tech and has been really instrumental in helping take a lot of things off my plate on the technical side and really helping me scale the team there as well. We also have two Stock Unlock subscribers who are working part-time on Stock Unlock that are software engineers. This is incredibly exciting for us, and they are working on things like notification systems as well as helping us revamp our marketing site. So this is really helping me on my side start to get some of the engineering stuff off my plate so that we could continue that product velocity. Also got a full-time executive assistant for the company. Uh, their name is Nestor. Shout out to Nestor, by the way. Uh, this guy is also a complete stud. Taking over a lot of customer service, you may have noticed in our Discord and on our email, Nestor is starting to take lead in customer success roles. And Nestor is also helping us do outbound outreach for podcasts, uh, reaching out to colleges uh, to sell stop and lock and all of that great stuff. Flashing over to Daniel's side, uh, Daniel has been hustling as well. You may have noticed that our newsletter has come back. We have found two newsletter, I will say it again, absolute studs, S-T-U-D-S. That is not a ticker symbol. That is the word I'm using to describe the people we are hiring on our team, which is becoming a super team. So newsletters are getting cranked out. Uh, we have someone who has come, we'll keep their name anonymous for now, who is helping us on organic social, which is incredible. So you might see our social posts picking up on Instagram, Twitter, or may I say X, and that's also saving Daniel a lot of time. Daniel actually built a whole new YouTube studio that he's been cranking out new videos in, which looks absolutely incredible. So flash forward to today, we are now having all those things that had us be a hamster on a wheel, delegated, automated out. Daniel and I are getting better at growing the team and understanding how to use the resources that we have as a company to really propel us to the next level. And before I run out of breath, and the last note is we have scaled past 2.6 thousand paying subscribers internationally. We are infinitely in debt and grateful to every single one of you who supports us by paying for the software. We really do believe that it is worth every penny, uh, dare I say more, <laughs> but we don't worry, we are not planning on increasing the price there. We are including and building so many more features and we just love coming to work and doing this every day, bringing you the best software experience. We are talking to some businesses that I will keep unnamed to do technical integrations with them, anywhere from selling them stock and lock widgets to other hosted solutions, really leveraging our software and selling it to other businesses. This obviously is way, way higher price point than selling uh, $8 and $90 a month and year subscription fees. And we are also going to be looking to sell to colleges. So, and asks everyone in the chat, if you are connected to a college that you went to, any financial institutions, if you know any other technical platforms that you think need a boost in their financial data that they're showing, if they could benefit from our education tools, insights, portfolio tracking, drop us a line, let us know. And I, I think that's it. I'm running out of breath, which usually means that I should stop talking. Is there anything you want to add there, Daniel, I'd say overall went through the trenches and we're back on the other side. Yeah. I just can't believe we were doing all that stuff ourselves. <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> Anyways, 
yeah, no, it's uh, feels a lot better now, and it's good. It, it feels good to be building stock unlock again. Like Quran and I are working on some pretty fun stuff that I hope we can announce probably within the next month or two, and it's going to be pretty awesome. So we're back to working away. Amazing, and Andrew, uh, great to see you as well. Thanks for hanging out. Millhouse 7, are we having the talk? We just did. Let us know how it went. Uh, we're not disappointed in all you. We all think you're doing great. Uh, mom and dad, or should I say dad and dad, doing all right. Kids are all right. Fam's still together, right? It's 2023. There could be two dads. Come on. Uh, Alex Pohl, it's always great to see you. So, yeah, for everyone who's still hanging out in here, uh, you're probably Stock and Lock super fans again. We are so, so grateful for the support you give us every week and moving forward. We'll try to do these at least or at once a month. We're going to try to bring on more guests, but we definitely need to be very careful with how we are spending our time. And I promise you our time is being well spent. You're going to see so many awesome improvements coming forward, both for our business, uh, as well as for Daniel and I to continue to take this to the next level. Thank you, Knockabout. Anything else to add here, Daniel? If not, I think that we could bring it to a close. It, it feels so good to be back and doing this. I feel like I've smiled so much during uh, this incredible hour with you. Uh, no, I think you covered pretty much everything. <laughs> I think you did a great job. So I should keep going? I should talk more? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Do you want to be the one to hit the end stream button? Do the honors? I can do it. I can do the honors. All right. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And we will let you know when we do the next stock talk. As Jake said, um, we're going to look into bringing guests on. I'm trying to work with Brandon Beavis right now, who is a pretty big Canadian YouTuber. And uh, he's a great guy. I freaking love that guy. He's a he is a stud too, man. Brandon, Good. he is a stud. But yeah. <laughs> so if you want to stay updated with when we are going to go live, the best way to do that is to join our Discord. It's free. Um, you do not need to pay for it, and you do not need to be a stock unlock subscriber. So go and join the Discord, and then you you will uh see when we're gonna go live next. But yeah, that's gonna wrap it up. So thank you all so much. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>